Adam and Eve story. We were hiding in the garden, making excuses for our sin, unable to cover up our shame. Our story is Jonah's story. We were running from God, denying our calling, surrounded by a raging sea. Our story is a prodigal son story. We were wasting our blessings, lost in our failures, too afraid to return home. Our story is Peter's story. We were unbelieving, full of fear and doubt, our faith slowly sinking beneath the waves. But that is not the end of our story. We are all longing to be restored. We want to stop running. We want to be found. We want to believe, and we are crying out for a savior. So God stepped in, into a broken world, into human form, into our very lives. God stepped into our mess, into our sin, into our failure, our fear, our doubt. Stepped into death, and the door shut behind him. And then he arose and left it all in the grave. He wiped clean our story and started writing a new one. One without shame, without fear, without death. A story full of love and forgiveness. A story of redemption and restoration. It's our life story. It's his story. It's a resurrection story. Well, we're going to step into that story today as you turn in your Bibles to John 11. Turn in your Bibles to John 11, and we're looking at the seventh sign in our study of, Lord, I need a miracle. So turn your Bibles to, to John chapter 11. That's where we're, we're looking at, and uh, we had a great vacation and, and a great time and uh, centered on looking for colleges for uh, Amber, which is always a fun thing as a parent. And uh, the only problem is once you find the college, then you got to figure out how to pay for it. So if you have any suggestions on that, I'd gladly uh, take those. But, uh, you know, maybe your bracket was busted last night. I know Bruce's was, right? Yes, Bruce. Let's, let's just... His heart was busted. We, you know, our, our egg hunt was rained out. But you know what? Christ is risen. We're going to look at that this morning. Now, uh, appreciate Jerry teaching on the blind man who was given sight, sign number six. And as we've been doing, let's look at the background of the seventh sign. And uh, you see it in, in your notes. Now, when did this happen? Well, in John chapter 11, verse 1, it just says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, there's not really much background there because in reality, the background to the seventh sign is the entire series we've been studying. It's The background is John chapter 1 through 10. 
when did this sign occur? After six other signs occurred that were meant to enable us to do two things. So there in your notes, just a reminder, why have we studied these, these seven signs? They're meant to enable us to do two things. First of all, see and savor, savor Jesus for who He really is, the glorious Son of God, our sovereign Savior. We're to see Him in all His glory, and we're to relish it, savor it, enjoy it, exalt it. We are to see Jesus in all His glory. And I hope you've done that. Uh, it's really ministered to my heart going through this and just seeing again and again, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that we're celebrating here on this Resurrection Sunday? These seven signs show off the glory of Jesus as the Son of God, our Sovereign Savior. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. Turn back in your Bibles to John 1, 14. This is the purpose of the whole gospel. The whole purpose of this gospel is summed up in John 1, 14. It's the purpose of the incarnation. It's what we're celebrating today. And the Word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among who? Us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we've seen that over and over as Jesus has performed these signs. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. He's full of power. He's full of the glory of God. In fact, when we go all the way back to the first sign in John 2.11, uh, when Jesus turned the water into wine, here's the summation of that whole miracle. It says in John 2.11, Jesus did this as the first of His miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee. In this way, He revealed His glory. That's the purpose. We're supposed to be seeing and savoring the glory of God. And in fact, last week when Jerry taught in John chapter 9.1, it says this, As Jesus passed by, He saw a blind man from birth, and His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he would be born blind. And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The glory of God might be seen in how I'm going to heal this man. Today, as we look at the raising of Lazarus, look back at John 11 again now. Look at verse 4. In John 11, verse 4, But when Jesus heard, that Lazarus was sick. Here's what he said. This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. And then drop down to verse 40 of John 11. Jesus says to Martha, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So why have we, what, what are we to do as we see these signs? We're to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And really, that's the purpose of Easter. It's not all these other things that are commercial and, and traditions that are great traditions. We always like to dye eggs as a family. These are great traditions, traditions. but the purpose of Easter is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that reveals the glory of God in the person of Jesus. In fact, in John 17, in this very book, Jesus prays in John 17, 1, before He goes to the cross. Here's what He says. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. 
glorify your son that the son may glorify you see it's all about the glory of god in the person of christ even as you gave him authority over all flesh there's the sovereignty that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life there's the savior it's the glory of jesus as our sovereign savior and listen that's the purpose that Jesus has in saving us. The reason He has saved you and I is not to make us healthy and wealthy in this life, but it's so that we may see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, not only now, but in the life to come. Listen to John 17, 24. Jesus continues to pray, and here's His prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom You have given me be with me where I am. Why? Why do we want to be where Jesus is? So that they may see my glory which you have given me. There's that sovereign bestowal of glory. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. He became our Savior, our sovereign Savior, full of glory. So that's the first thing we're to see. But seeing His glory calls for a response. And the second thing these signs are meant to do is that we might trust and treasure Jesus with a saving faith that obediently follows Him. You see, when we really see Jesus for who He is, and we really relish Him for who He is, then we will trust and treasure Him in all sorts of circumstances. And these seven signs have taken us through all sorts of times of despair, disability, disappointment, and now even death, and we see that we can trust and treasure Jesus with a saving faith. Turn to the back of, of John now, John 20, 30 through 31. This is the, the, the second purpose for the book. We're to see His glory, but then we are to trust and treasure Him. Look at John 20, 30 through 31. Therefore, Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. So we're looking at seven, but there's many more that He did. But these have been written. The ones that we have studied have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, that's in the present tense, as you keep believing, you may have life in His name. So the whole point is this. You don't just believe in Jesus once. You keep believing in Jesus. You keep growing in your faith. And Jesus brings us into all sorts of difficult circumstances to grow our faith, to strengthen our faith. We saw uh, two weeks ago to stabilize our faith in the midst of the storms. You see, it all comes down to John 1, 11 through 13. He came to His own. And, and those who were his own did not receive him. Instead of trusting him, they rejected him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And you see, each one of these signs has meant to show his glory so that we'll trust and treasure Him as our sovereign Savior. Go back, I think, go back again to the first miracle, the turning water into wine. Listen to John 2.11. 
Jesus did this as his first miraculous sign in Canaan of Galilee. In this way, one, he revealed his glory, and two, his disciples believed in him. And here today, in John 11, we're going to see the same thing. Look at John 11, verse 40. Look at John 11, verse 40. I just want you to see the bigger picture of what God is enabling us to do through, the, through seeing these signs. Look at John eleven forty. Jesus said to her, Did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? There's the two things. See and Savior, savor His glory and trust and treasure Him as our sovereign Savior. Or to put it real simple, believe in miracles and what? Trust in Jesus. So, here's the seventh sign. Coming after all six, and Jesus is saving the best for last. We've already seen Jesus prevent death in sign number two, but here, He's going to reverse death. He's going to actually let a beloved disciple die, and not only die, but begin to rot in the grave. I love the King James here. By this time, He stinketh. Now, there's some good things about uh, Old English. He stinketh, he's rotting, he's decaying, and Jesus is going to reverse death. It also comes during a time of great rejection and opposition. I won't take the time to read through those passages, but at the end of healing the blind man that you heard about last week, there is great opposition. Uh, there is intense opposition. It ends with Jesus saying in chapter 9 to the Pharisees, you're spiritually blind and you're still in your sin. Not a way to win friends and influence people in the city of Jerusalem, okay? And in John 10, 19, the Jewish people are divided. Some say Jesus is demonic and others are saying, hey, this guy's got to be divine. There's something about him. These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? And then in John 24 through 30, Jesus told them to look at the works he has done, for they reveal who he really is. And the Jews pick up stones to stone him because he's saying what? Look at what I've done. They reveal my glory. And they show that I am the sovereign Savior. I am fully man, but I'm fully God. And they're like, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you for that. And so in John 37 through 42, look at John 37, John 10, 37 through 42. Jesus gives them a final warning. And basically he says this, If I'm doing what only God can do, then you had better believe that I am fully man and fully God. Let your sign faith lead you to saving faith in me. Look, see what I'm doing, and let what I'm doing convince you of who I am. Let's look at 10, uh, John 10, 37. If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. You know, if I'm not doing anything miraculous that only God can do, ignore me. Treat me like Muhammad. Treat me like Buddha. Treat me like the Pope. Treat me like Billy Graham. But look at verse 38. But if I do them, then you, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I and in the, and I in the Father. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. They wanted to kill him, but it wasn't his time. So look at verses 40 through 42. This leads right into chapter 11. 
He went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. And many came to him and were saying, While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Many believed in him there. I love that statement. It's all about sign faith and saving faith. See, they're saying, look, John came and predicted you you would be the one. And yet he didn't perform a single miracle. And yet what he said is coming true. They're starting to get it. It's not about the signs. It's about the message and the messenger. And they're starting to believe on Jesus simply because of what He has said and who He is. They're starting to get it. And so that leads us to the question of where does, the, where does this chapter 11 take place? Well, Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan where John first baptized. That's what we just read. But Lazarus and his sisters are at their home in Bethany, Jesus' favorite place on earth. So if again we take our little... Uh, 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 map of uh, Jerusalem or of Israel. You've got the Sea of Galilee up here, and Jesus has, has gone on the other side of the Jordan. He's getting away from Jerusalem. He's going back to where John first baptized. Now, why is he going there? Because he's refusing to let his enemies kill him, but doing the Father's will. He's not going to let anybody take him and kill him before his time, but the time's getting close. The time is getting close. He's also recommitting to what his father called him to do. His ministry started at this place. It's like Jesus is going back to the beginning and saying, okay, I've got to focus on what God wants me to do, not what other people want me to do. And he's reminding his Savior, he's reminding his disciples of what signs. He came to be the Savior of the world. He came to be the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And that's what John said at the very beginning of this gospel. And so we're supposed to be reminded of why Jesus came. He didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to be a Messiah who sacrifices his life for the sins of of the world. He didn't come to perform signs, but to be the sovereign Savior of the world. He didn't come to make us healthy and wealthy and, and to enable us to live long on this earth and prosper, but to make us holy and righteous in God's eyes. So he's there, but uh, Lazarus and his family, Lazarus is sick down here near Jerusalem. In Bethany, So Jesus is far away in the wilderness, and yet Lazarus and his sisters are at home in Bethany. And we see this in verse 1 of chapter 11. And we see that it's the place, it's, it's about two miles outside of Jerusalem, and it's Jesus' favorite place on earth. Think about this. Jesus' favorite place on earth was a little village outside of Jerusalem, and it was in a family of three apparently single adults, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Hey, that kind of changes everything. This was Jesus' favorite place. In fact, uh, moving on into the Gospel of John, and we just came through Holy Week, the last week of his life, you know where Jesus spent it every evening? He spent it in this home with these people. 
That's pretty amazing. His favorite place on earth. Now, who's involved in this miracle? Kind of the same group of people we've been seeing. Let me give you who's involved in this miracle. First of all, the sovereign Savior. It's always about Jesus. Jesus makes this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. All of these miracles, they're all about Him. They're all to show His glory. But also... Some who have saving faith are involved. Some who have saving faith. There's two groups of people here, real followers of Jesus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are are three disciples who follow Him. They truly love Him. They're loved by Him, but they still have a lot to learn, just like we do, about who Jesus really is and how saving faith trusts even when the Lord's coming is delayed and death comes to us or our loved ones. Listen, this is a great lesson because death comes to all of us. And sadly, it often comes sooner than we want. In fact, someone just stopped me about a a longtime former member whose son, 16-year-old, just died this week. You see, death comes. And we need to learn how to trust the Lord even when He delays and doesn't deliver our loved ones. But the 12 disciples are also here. And they have something to learn too. Because Jesus is going to leave the place of safety and go back to the place of danger. And His disciples say, why are you going there? We, you might die. They want to kill you. And He says, that's okay. I'm doing God's will. And as long as I'm doing God's will, no one can touch me until the hour has come. Here's the point. Sometimes Jesus delays coming into our lives and it results in death. Will you trust Him? And sometimes Jesus wants you to follow Him into death. Will you follow Him? And we should. Why? Because He is the what? The resurrection and the life. We also see in this chapter 11, some who have only signed faith. Okay, they're not followers as much as fans of Jesus. They're fickle. They only want him when he does something. And so Jesus, there's Jewish people in this, in this passage who after seeing Jesus give sight to the blind, like we saw last week, after they even see Lazarus raised from the dead, they never go beyond sign faith. They, they just remain fickle fans. They remain without saving faith. But others, at the end of this story, when Lazarus rises, there's others that say, oh my, okay, we've seen it now. We've seen the ultimate. He really is the resurrection and the life. And a lot of people move from sign faith to saving faith. And then number four, there are some in this passage who have no faith at all. They're not followers. They're not fans. They're just fakes. It's the Jewish leaders. And this story ends, ironically, Jesus raises the dead and the Jewish leaders, all they want to do is kill Jesus, even though he is doing the works that only God can do. So what's the point? Well, let me sum it up this way. Everything in this chapter revolves around death. Everything. It's really amazing. Death is threatening the life of Lazarus in Bethany. Death is feared by the disciples if they return with Jesus to Jerusalem. Death destroys the hope of Mary and Martha uh, for a miraculous healing. Death finally takes Lazarus' life and and the story shifts from the home of Lazarus to the tomb of Lazarus. Death 
is what the Jewish leaders have planned for Jesus at the end of the chapter. Hey, life is filled with death, disappointment, doubt, and despair. And into this chapter of dying and death walks the I Am God, who in look, look at John eleven twenty five through 26. If you don't get anything else today, just get this. In the midst of death, doubt, and disappointment, Jesus walks in and He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. And then He asks this really poignant question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? So, what are we seeing? We need a miracle when the Lord delays His coming and the result is death, doubt, and despair. And so the first thing we see is the sign is performed. And I'm not going to so much teach through that. That's just an outline of chapter 11. It's a great chapter. You can read through it and, and you can and go through it. It's just amazing that in all this story about death, there's all this issue of life. Uh, the first three verses begin with the desire of Mary and Martha for their brother Lazarus to save a life. Go to Jesus. Tell Jesus He's about to die so He will save the life of our loved one. And then we come to verses 4, and, 4 through 6, and the Lord delays His coming, and it costs a life. They say, hey, hurry up, you got to save a life. And Jesus says, we're going to stay two more days. And it costs Lazarus his life. That's the tension of this chapter. That's the tension of our lives. Because God doesn't always come through like we think He ought to. He doesn't always do what we want Him to do. And the question then begins, uh, the question then is, are we going to trust and treasure Him even when we're disappointed by even death of a loved one? So He delays that cost a life. And then He makes a decision to go, and that threatens His life and the life of His disciples. They're like, you know, it's crazy. One wants Him to come to save a life, and, there's a, and they say, no, you can't go down there. It's going to threaten your life. And, and, and then doubting Thomas, he's such a, he, he's such a downer. He, he's really a, 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 a downer. He says, well, let's go and die with Him. You know, <laughs> it's, just, you know it's just great. And then he goes, and in this situation where life is threatened and death, he makes declarations that give life. In the very place where death reigns, he declares life is greater. And you see, it's really a picture of what's going to happen the rest of the gospel. Jesus will go to Jerusalem, and Jesus will die, but Jesus will also rise again. Isn't that beautiful? You see, out of death, can, God is glorified even in death. And He's even more glorified in the resurrection that comes after death. And then He makes the demands of the Lord to restore life. He says, where have you laid Him? Remove the stone. And then the miracle happens. Lazarus, come forth. And it's often been said, and I believe it's true, if He hadn't have said Lazarus, every dead body would have risen out of the grave. He had to say, Lazarus, come forth. And when He does, He comes back, and then He says, unbind Him and let Him go. 
Wow. Man, it's just powerful. There's so many lessons. There's like five Easter sermons all in this chapter. And then it ends with the determination of the Jewish leaders to take a life. So isn't it amazing? Look at the beginning. The desire is to save a life. The story ends with the determination to take a life. Jesus' delay costs a life, but He makes demands that will restore that same life. He makes a decision to go where life is threatened, but He makes declarations that give life. This is a beautiful chapter. Man, the Word of God is beautiful. But you've got to study it. You've got to study it. And you've got to look at it. And so, the story ends, ironically, with the Jewish leaders wanting to kill Jesus. And as you move into chapter 12, guess what? They not only want to kill Jesus... But they want to kill the ultimate sign that Jesus did. What's the ultimate sign? Raising Lazarus. And so many people are coming from Jerusalem to Bethany to see the living sign, to see Lazarus. They're like, okay, we not only want to kill the sign worker, but we're going to kill the sign as well. Which is all really silly when Jesus is the what? The resurrection in life. Okay, we're going to kill the resurrection in life. How's that going to turn out? Well, praise God, that's why we got Easter. Amen? That's just good stuff. Okay, there's the sign. Now, what's the significance? I want to show you the significance in three words. Love, glory, and the greatest good. Love, glory, and the greatest good. So let's take... There's three significant lessons in this, in this miracle. Not your typical, uh, maybe, Easter lesson from chapter 11, but I think it's the greater lesson. Here's the three significant lessons. Uh, number one, and this is profound and it's very personal. Jesus sometimes delays His coming to deliver us from death out of love. Jesus sometimes delays His coming to deliver us from death out of love. You see, this didn't just happen with Lazarus. Think about it. Ever since Jesus rose and went back to heaven, He has delayed His coming, and believers have been doing what for centuries? They've been dying. And, you know, we can say that very quickly and very flippantly until one of those believers is who? Us or someone we dearly love. Then all of a sudden we begin to question, does God still love me? Does God love them? Why would God delay His coming? Why he would he allow so much pain and misery? Why does his beloved disciples keep dying, murdered, martyred by brutal people in the Middle East, heads cut off? Why would he do this? And the answer in this passage is Jesus sometimes delays his coming to deliver us from death out of love. And he really makes a big point of this. Look, in uh, uh, these three siblings loved Jesus. They loved him sincerely, and they loved him sacrificially. And we see this in verse 2. Because John brings forward something that Mary hasn't even done yet. And that's pour this year's worth of precious ointment, valuable ointment, to wash Jesus' feet. That's chapter 12. But he's moving it up and he's telling us before it happens because he says, Look, these people really love Jesus. You couldn't get anybody that loved Jesus more at that time. And they showed it. Mary showed it by learning 
uh, by sitting at Jesus' feet to learn in their home. Martha showed her love by serving Jesus diligently in that home. Mary showed it again by giving sacrificially to Jesus a year's worth of wages. And Lazarus showed it by his sacrificial love, by fellowshipping and enjoying time with Jesus in friendship. You see, saving faith for our sovereign Savior is seen in making learning, serving, giving, and fellowshipping a priority in our homes, in our church, in our lives. These people loved. Jesus. And Jesus loved them. Look, at least three times it says in this passage, Jesus loved them. Look at verse 3. So the sisters went, sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. We know you love this man, our brother. And then notice in verse 5, John wants us to know, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. And yet, look at verse 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so, because, therefore, He loved them so much that when He knew Lazarus was sick, He ran off to Bethany to prevent him from dying. Is that what happened? No, look at verse 6. It's radical. It's radical love. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days. (coughs) Two days longer in the place where he was. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I say, you got to be kidding me. They love you deeply, sincerely, and sacrificially. You love them deeply, sincerely, and sacrificially. You have gotten word. You're the sovereign Savior. You've performed all these signs. You already did this in sign number two. You could say from a distance, Lazarus, you're healed. And what does he do? Out of love, what does he do? He stays two more days, and he does nothing. Now, the world would say, that's not much love. But the reality is, Jesus does the most loving thing that will bring the greatest good and the greatest glory. Listen, Jesus chooses to not do what seems to be the most loving thing in order to do an even more loving thing in light of eternity. Are you with me on this? What would have been the most loving thing in our understanding? Go immediately or just speak the word and prevent the death, the grief, and the loss. And yet there is a greater love in light of eternity that says, No, I'm going to delay because I love you so much. When Jesus delays doing what you think is the loving thing, He still loves you. And He loves you with a love that's even greater than what you can understand. And you can only begin to grasp it by putting your faith in Him as the resurrection and the life. Let me give you three points here. His delays are planned. He stayed two more days. His delays are planned. Nothing is out of the control of the sovereign I am. Nothing catches him off guard. He knew how this was going to turn out. In fact, he says, this sickness is not unto death. But wait a minute. Didn't Lazarus die? Yes, but that wasn't the last word. And that's never the last word when a believer dies. Listen, no believer dies. Sickness is unto death. It's ultimately unto life. His delays are planned. 
Secondly, his delays are personal. I think it's very important that when he says in verse 4, this sickness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, he brackets it in verses 3 and 5 with how much he loves them. Listen, his delays are not only planned, but they're always motivated by love. Jesus loves you. Listen, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how long the Lord delays answering your prayers, no matter how painful facing death or your, or your present disappointments are, remember this, the good shepherd knows his sheep and he loves his own. He knows you by name. I love that it says, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. He loves you individually and he loves you deeply and personally. This is awesome stuff. The bottom line is Jesus sometimes delays his coming to deliver us from death out of love. But also, number three, his delays are purposeful. Why did he do this? It was out but look at verse 4. What was his purpose? Look again at verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for, what's the purpose? The glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. And that's the second significant lesson I want you to see. Not only are his delays out of love, but number two, Jesus sometimes allows death to enter our lives for his glory. Jesus sometimes allows death to enter his li- our lives for His glory. So here's what we've got to understand. His motive is always love. And because His motive is love, His purpose is always for God's glory and our good. Look again at 3, 4, or I'm sorry, look at 4, 5, and 6. In verse 3, the sisters come and say, Look, the one you love is sick. But Jesus says, I've got a greater purpose than healing him. I've got a purpose of glorifying God and glorifying myself by, as I glorify God. And, and, and the reason, man, this is just hard to explain because it's just so, it's, 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 it's beyond really our understanding. The greatest good for them was to see the glory of God. And because Jesus loved them enough, To do the greatest good for them, he lets Lazarus die so that God would be, so they would see more of God's glory in who Jesus is. And in seeing more of God's glory, that would be the most loving thing you could do for another person. And let me see if I can help you with that. Number one, out of love, the Lord delays his coming for the purpose of God's glory. That's what it says in verse 4. The reason he delayed was God would get greater glory. The reason he allowed death to enter into their family, this family he loved, was so that God would get greater glory. Now, let me make this practical. When we face a life-threatening delay, what do we naturally ask God? Well, when he delays, though, why why do we ask him? Yes, exactly. Why the delay? Why didn't you do what I wanted? Why didn't you fix it, right? When God delays and death comes to a loved one or to ourselves, we're like, God, why did you allow this? Why did you delay? 
And what Jesus is telling us in this verse is, instead of asking why the delay, what we really need to be asking is, God, how are you going to use this delay, even one that results in death, for your glory? How are you going to use it for your glory? That's a totally different question. Do you agree? Because, listen, the first question, you're not going to get answered. Except with the, with the, except with the answer, it's for greater glory to God. And you say, well, I don't care about God's greater glory. I care about what I want you to do. Uh-oh, that's not saving faith. That's sign faith. Are you with me? Is this all coming together? I mean, this is deep stuff. But that's the purpose of this thing. When we don't trust and treasure and love the glory of God more than our personal comfort or our, our loved ones, then we're, we're, we're not manifesting saving faith. God, how are you going to use this delay, even one that results in death, for your glory through your Son? And secondly, out of love, the, Lord's, the Lord delays His coming for the purpose of our good. His glory is for our good. That's why He loves us. He loves us to show us His glory for our good. Because look at verses 14 and 15. He's talking to His disciples and He's saying, Look, Lazarus is asleep. we got to go wake him up. And, he, and they're like, Well, if he's asleep, let's just let him sleep. He'll wake up. We don't have to threaten our lives. And He says, No, you don't get it. And then he says this in verses 14 and 15. Lazarus, so Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And look at verse 15. And I'm glad. Okay, is this blowing your mind? Are you, are you, are you, are you, and I'm glad he's dead. Why? For your sake, so that you may believe. So that you may believe. You guys aren't getting it. You're worried about dying and I am the resurrection and the life. You guys don't see me for who I really am. Mary and Martha <coughs> and Lazarus don't see me for who I am. I'm letting Lazarus die so I can reveal my greater glory for your good. And you take it all through all through this. In fact, look at uh, uh, look at verses 41 and 42. Or 40 through 42. Look at 40 through 42. Jesus is standing before Lazarus' tomb. And he says, Remove the stone. And Martha, ever the practical one, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus says to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So then they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know, I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe in you that you sent me. He's saying, look, I'm even going to pray out loud just so those around know that I'm your son, I'm the son of God, and I'm going to do this by your power and for your glory so that they'll believe in me and in believing in me, they will believe in you. Jesus sometimes does. Now, let me just lay this out. Why does God sometimes delay His coming and allow those who love He loves to experience death or suffer the loss of a loved one? Now listen, here's, this is key in witnessing. 
Because the most loving thing we can do for someone is point them to the glory of Jesus for their true satisfaction in this life and the one to come. Even if it causes loss, grief, and even separation in this life. See, listen, sometimes pointing people to the glory of God means offending them. It sometimes results in separation in our families, in our workplace, in our homes. But the greater glory is the glory of God. Sometimes we have to do what others think is unloving in order to show them a greater love that points them to the glory of Jesus. Did you get that? Sometimes we have to do what others think is unloving to show them a greater love that points them to the glory of Jesus. Sometimes we have to delay loving people the way they think we should so we can love them the way God wants them to and will bring Him the greatest glory and them the greatest good. And that's point number three. Jesus is the resurrection and life who can deliver us from death in this life and the one to come for our greatest good. Our greatest good is not always avoiding death. Our greatest good is what will bring God the greatest glory. And so Jesus comes to them and He gives them four life-giving declarations. And these begin in verse 23. You see, both sisters come to Him and say, Lord, if only You had been here, I Oh, he wouldn't have died. If only you had been here, I know he wouldn't have died. <coughs> what are they saying to Jesus? I know you can prevent death. What are they missing? He can reverse death. Exactly. See, they needed to see more of who Jesus was. They believed. But they needed to see more. And so it was done for their good. If only. If only. So here's the first life-giving declaration. Mary said, look at what Mary says in verse 22. Look at 21 and 22. Martha said, then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But you let us down. But even though you let us down, even though now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. See, I still believe my faith didn't die even though Lazarus died. Oh, really? Your faith didn't die? Then Jesus says, your brother will rise again. I know that whatever you ask, God will do. Your brother will rise again. What does Martha say? Well, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And what did Jesus mean? No, he's going to rise again what day? Today! Today! I am the resurrection and the life. Your brother will rise again. You see, her faith needed to grow, and so does ours. And so he, he says, this, then he makes it clear in verse 25. No, I'm not talking about a future event. I'm talking about who I am. Look at number two. I am the resurrection in the life. This corrects Martha's misunderstanding about who Jesus is. He's not just a messenger from God. He's not a prophet. He's not a teacher from God. He is God. He is the resurrection. And when Jesus is in your life, resurrection is guaranteed. Isn't that amazing? Here's the most important question for anyone. Not, are you going to die? What's the answer to that question? Yeah, the question is, do you know the resurrection and the life? Because if you die and you know the resurrection and the life, what's going to happen, happen to you? You will rise again. 
But more than that, when you die, you'll never be dead. To be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. Isn't this beautiful? Listen, Jesus changes everything. This is who our Savior is. So he says in number three, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. He says, look, I understand Lazarus is dead, but even though he's dead, he's going to live again. I'm the resurrection. And then he says, number four, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Here's the point. If you're alive right now and you believe in me, oh, there will be death, but in the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, you're going to be absent from the body and you're still going to be... His point is, Lazarus is still alive. No, Lazarus is dead. No, Lazarus is still alive. Why? Because I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And he ends it by saying, do you believe this? And then, he, and then Martha says she still doesn't get it because the miracle hasn't happened. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. He goes, look, she goes, yeah, I believe that a long way back and I still believe it. And Jesus says, yeah, but I love you so much. I've let your beloved brother die, somebody that I lo- love deeply, someone whom Jesus wept over because I want you to see more of who I am. Because that's the greatest good and the most loving thing that I can do for you. So here's the good news for us this Easter. Jesus' delays are planned, they're personal, they're purposeful, but Jesus' delays are never permanent. Jesus finally did come, didn't He? And when He came, He raised Lazarus from the dead. So here's the message today. As Jesus delayed His coming... Yeah. Has he come again yet? No. And are we facing death? Yes, we're all dying. And do some of our loved ones die? Yes. But you know what? We can still trust the Lord. He's coming again. Well, I hope you I hope you saw this this was hard. I, I chose to take a harder track. I've taught this before, but I wanted you to see really this is the message of the passage. God loves us enough to delay doing what we want Him to do so that we can see His glory. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, this is really the message of Easter. You've come, you've risen, but you're delaying your coming, and you're doing it because you love us. You want people to see your glory in us. You even want to see people see your glory in how we die and how we grieve and how we're disappointed and how death enters our lives, and yet we have a greater hope because you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, I pray that we would love people, we would witness to people in a way that we would sometimes disappoint them, sometimes delaying doing the loving thing because we have a greater love for them, and we want to point them to a greater glory for their greater good. Lord, these are hard things to understand, but they're right here in this passage and their realities in our lives. So, Lord, may we live with this kind of hope, and may we take this message this week and not just leave it here at Easter Sunday, but take it into the world that you are the resurrection and the life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.